right? Something that has really, really blessed me. And how many of you have been blessed by this series and you know that you're a covenant Christian? God cut a covenant with you and with me, a blood covenant. And we've been looking at how he began in the Garden of Eden and carried it down through Father Abraham. And Abraham was approached by God and God put him to sleep and God cut a blood covenant with him. And we've gone into how when he saw in a dream somebody, a being of light, walking between the two sacrificial uh, parts of the animal, that it was Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, walking through the sacrifice. It was actually God cutting covenant with God because there was no greater he could swear by than himself. Amen. So let's stand tonight, and we got a lot of Scripture to read here at the beginning, and you're going to have to pay real close attention because what we're looking at tonight is the apex of God's teaching His people about the blood. And we all know it as the Passover, and everything we read here out of Exodus 12 is very relevant. So stay with it, and let's read it carefully, and just let me read it. Ready? God said to Moses and Aaron while still in Egypt, This month is to be the first month of the year for you. Address the whole community of Israel. Tell them that on the tenth of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one lamb to a house. If the family is too small for a lamb, then share it with a close neighbor depending on the number of persons involved. Be mindful of how much each person will eat. Your lamb must be a healthy male, one year old. You can select it from either the sheep or the goats. Keep it penned, that is, you know, in a pen, penned up, pent up, until the 14th day of this month, and then slaughter it. The entire community of Israel will do this at dusk. Then take some of the blood and smear it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which you will eat it. Very important. Then look what he says. You are to eat the meat roasted in the fire that night along with bread made without yeast and bitter herbs. And we're going to see what that means in just a little bit. Don't eat any of it raw or boiled in water. Make sure it's roasted, the whole animal, head, legs, and innards. That's, that's the message Bible. Everybody say with me, innards. That, that's, I just wanted to say it. There's something about that word, innards. I feel like I'm in East Texas. <laughs> Pass the innards. All right. Don't leave any of it until morning if there are leftovers burn them in the fire. And here is how you are to eat it. Be fully dressed with your sandals on and your stick in your hand, your staff. Eat in a hurry. It's the Passover to God. I will go through the land of Egypt on this night and strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt whether human or animal, and bring judgment on all of what? What was God bringing judgment on? The gods 
of Egypt. He says, I am God, and the blood will serve as a sign on the houses where you live. Now read this next part with me, would you? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No disaster will touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Hallelujah. Now remember, he's teaching not only his people. What's he, what's he prepping his people for? He's pre- prepping his people to understand blood covenant, blood sacrifice. He's prepping them over and over again, teaching them over and over again. So that when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, their minds shot straight back to this. All right? We have come now to the... Okay, that's, that's it. Now let's pray together, can we? Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for opening our understanding. God, speak to us on the subject of the blood covenant that we stand in, that gives us our victory. We thank you, Lord God, for the reality of your word. May the great teacher of the church, the Holy Ghost of God, open our eyes and give everyone a personal revelation of this that is in your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen, you're going to need this tonight. Well, this is powerful stuff. Now, we've come now to the pinnacle of God's teaching to His old covenant people on the blood covenant. This is the pinnacle. I can't think of a stronger um, picture and stronger lesson and stronger uh, illustration of the blood covenant than this one. The setting is in the land of Goshen in northern Egypt. Abraham's descendants have been living there for 400 years. Think about that. They've been there for four centuries. That would take us back to the 18th century. That's how long they were there. They have grown from a family of 70 on their initial arrival to Egypt to a nation of several million. According to God's promise to Abraham, what did he tell him? I'm going to make of you a great nation. And so it's happened. Now they are numerous in the millions. Threatened by their growth, though, Pharaoh has subjected the Hebrews to inhumane slavery. In their misery, God's people begin to cry out for deliverance, and God hears their groanings and remembers his blood covenant with Abraham. What did God remember? God remembered his blood covenant. And folks, you got to know tonight that there are so many times in any given week any given day with you and me, that God moves on our behalf because he remembers his blood covenant. What is our grounds for even appealing to God? Help me, Lord. Give me peace. Carry me. Guide me. Speak to me. Direct me. Heal me. Provide for me. What is our grounds? It's not because God thought you were pretty or handsome. It's not because he was impressed with your pedigree. It's not because you were so talented or special. No, God loves everybody the same. Why does God answer you and me anytime we pray? He remembers his blood covenant. In essence, when God answers our prayers, folks, he's doing it for Jesus' sake. He's doing it for Jesus' sake. Okay? 
Powerful stuff there. God chooses Moses after 400 years as his instrument of deliverance to lead the Hebrews out of bondage. The terrible plagues, ten terrible plagues, are sent against the gods of Egypt. But every time, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Every single time. Now, the scriptures tell us why his heart was hardened, and I want to read it to you. Because we need to, we need to understand this about God Almighty. This is the Message Bible, Romans 9, 17 through 18. The holy writings say to Pharaoh, this is God saying, I made you leader for this reason, Pharaoh. I made you leader. I used you to show my power. I used you to make my name known over all the world. So God has loving kindness for those he wants to. He makes some have hard hearts if he wants to. Well, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Here's what you do with it. I want you to say a real special word with me. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. He's, his, he's providential. He's sovereign. And the Scripture is sitting here telling us that Pharaoh was raised up by God. And every time his heart was hardened, God hardened it. Why? Because he wanted to show the second plague and the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one and the sixth one, seven, eight, nine. Why? Because his people are being led out of bondage into the promised land, and he wants them to have a file a miracle file in their minds. You know, we all ought to have, everybody has files. Some of us have unforgiveness files, grudge files, <laughs> you know, bad memory files, should have done, would have done, could have done files. But you know, we ought to have a miracle file. We ought to have a miracle file. We ought to be able to look back and say, wow, when I prayed for that particular thing, God did exceedingly abundantly above all that I could have asked for or even thought about. And that ought to be in your miracle file. I was thinking today about a Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there's any virtue, any praise, that's what you need to think on. Think on these things. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, will gird you and, and keep your heart through Jesus Christ. See, you're in control of your thoughts. You can pick what you're going to think about. And on any given day in Pastor Jeff's life, there's usually at least once or twice where I stop my thoughts and I go, whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely and ever of good report, if there's anything virtuous, anything worthy of praise, that's what I'm going to think on. And you'd be amazed how that raises up a standard inside your mind and shuts the wrong thoughts down. And so, have a file. This, this was, you know, God, God wanted his people to remember all that he did to deliver them because they were going to need it. Amen? Now, finally, God sends the tenth and the last plague, which is to kill the firstborn of every family. 
Look what he says. I'm going to go through the land of Egypt on this night and strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, whether human or animal, and bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Now, in light of this warning, God instructs every man to select a lamb for his household on the tenth day of the month. He was then to observe it for five days to make sure nothing was wrong with it. There, there could be no fault, no spot, no blemish found in, in the lamb. It had to be perfect. I mean, you guys do see where this is going. This is God just pointing down the tunnel of time saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my only begotten son without spot, without blemish. And how many of you know that judgment is coming to our world? This is a picture in microcosm. This is something we can look at and say, all right, Egypt was coming under the judgment of God. And God said, choose a lamb. And God said, I'm going to teach you to turn and lean on the blood. I'm going to teach you to trust the power of the blood of a sacrificed lamb. So that when judgment sweeps the nation, it will not touch you. See, brethren, the day is going to come when God's going to send angels of judgment to this entire world. And it's going to be the exact same principle. When that angel sees the blood of the Lamb of God over your heart, over your life, then you will not be judged with the rest of the world. You will be spared because the blood is on your life. Amen. Now, look what he said. This is, this is so powerful. On the 14th day of the month, he's to bring the lamb to his doorstep and kill him. As he does so, he'll catch the blood in a basin at the foot of the doorstep, all by God's direction. Then he's to take a hyssop bush, the Old Testament brush, all right, dip it in the blood and sprinkle the blood on both sides of the doorpost. You get it now? He's putting this bush in that blood, and then he's doing this on both sides of the doorpost. And then there will, and above the doorpost, then there will be blood at the foot of the door, on both sides of the door, and out the top of the door. Now, you can't read that and not see the Lord Jesus Christ when they put the thorns down upon his head, they pierced his skull and blood ran down the top. They pierced his hands, blood ran down the sides. They pierced his feet, blood ran down the bottom. And when they finished doing this to the doors, you had the sign of the cross. Does God need to say anything more? It was a foreshadowing of what was coming. Now, God's timing here is very crucial. This was to be done on the evening of the 14th, on the evening of the 14th. Now, the Hebrew day begins at 6 o'clock in the evening. So they had to kill the lambs around 3 o'clock in the afternoon of the 14th in order to eat the meal by 6. So when 3 o'clock finally arrived, Man, you just got to kind of use your sanctified imagination here. Hebrew knives flashed in the Egyptian sun as the lambs were killed and the blood was applied. The family then entered their house through the blood-stained door 
And once safe inside, according to God's instructions, they roasted the lamb and ate it while waiting for God's judgment to fall in the final plague. Now you got to, man, this is, here they go. They go, here's the father out there putting it above the door, putting it on the sides of the door, putting the blood at the bottom of the door, sprinkling it. Then he says to his family, all right, let's go in. They pass under a door to go into their house that is covered in the blood. They walk in with the lamb that was slain, and they roast it. And they can't have anything left over. They roast it. And around 6 o'clock that night, there is a national cook-off. There's a national barbecue. I mean, (laughs) there's literally tens of thousands of people killing lambs, sprinkling the blood on the doorpost, and going inside to roast the lambs. All at the very same time, I couldn't resist saying this, the land of Goshen had to have smelled like a gigantic Sizzler steakhouse. I mean, thousands of people were cooking lamb. Can you imagine what that smelled like? Wow, it made me hungry just writing this. So me and Kathy went to salt grass today. And so this savor filled the whole land of Egypt. Don't you know the Egyptians were thinking, what is wrong with these people? These people are weird. This doesn't make any sense. And you know, they were walking up and down the streets where where the Hebrews lived, and they saw them doing this number. And don't you know they mocked it? Don't you know they said, man, what's the latest weird thing they're doing? Here, let me tell you what they're doing. They're putting lamb's blood above the door, on the sides of the door, at sprinkling it at the bottom of the door. When will the weirdness of these people end? It looked foolish to the Egyptians. Just like it looks foolish to this world when you say, I turned to Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb covered my sin. And when it covered my sin, the Holy Ghost came and lived inside of me. And my hope is that when I die, I will not get into heaven based on any single thing but that blood that is on the doorpost of my heart. And that's how I'm getting in. And that's how I'm not going to go to hell. It's the blood. The only thing we will be able to say to God is, the blood's on my heart. The blood is on my heart. I want you to notice the angel that was sent. Let's look at it. As the scent of the smoke ascended up into heaven, it reached the very nostrils of God. It was the evidence to God that the blood representing the covenant relationship with Abraham's descendants. Notice, God cut a blood covenant with Abraham, the father of their faith. Now he comes to the children of Israel when they are in the millions and they're a great nation now, and he teaches them to also lean on a blood covenant. With Abraham, it was a blood covenant. With his offspring and his descendants, it was a blood covenant. And now with you and me, it's a blood covenant. We stand in a blood covenant. The covenant meal was now being consumed to celebrate the communion of that covenant. Now catch the powerful symbolism here. In preparing the meal... Not one bone of the lamb was to be broken. And what does it say in Psalms 22 about the Lord Jesus Christ? 
not one of his bones shall be broken. And the whole lamb was to be consumed. There could be no leftovers. Anything the family didn't eat was to be immediately burned. Along with the lamb, the family ate bitter herbs as a reminder of their bitter bondage in Egypt. And catch this now. They were also to eat unleavened bread, which was a reminder that they didn't have time to properly prepare the bread. They ate the meal fully clothed with staff in hand, ready to depart Egypt. And I've got to stop here a minute. I'm going to tell you what this says to me. God said, you lean on the blood, and then you get ready for our deliverance. Because when the judgment begins to fall, I'm going to deliver you. And so here they are. They're, they're leaning on the power and the efficacy of the blood. They go into their house covered by the blood. They eat. It had to be in somber silence and reverence and respect, knowing that that night the death angel was going to move through Egypt. They couldn't see the blood. They were inside the house. But they had faith that the blood would deliver them when death and judgment began to fall. But they're not getting ready for bed. They're getting ready for a type of the rapture, dear people of God. They're getting ready to be taken out of there. They got their shoes on. They haven't got their nighties on. They got their shoes on and they got their staff in their hand. They're eating with one hand and they're ready to go with the other. And listen, this is God giving us a type, a picture. We ought to be always in the world ministering in the world, living our lives in the world, but always be ready to go. Always be ready to depart. You ought to always have, in essence, a staff in your hand. You ought to have always your spiritual shoes on because when you're leaning on the blood and the blood has covered your life, it could be any time and the trumpet will blow. We can't forget that Jesus Christ is going to come again. The same one who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem on that first Christmas morn is going to come back. He's going to land on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two, and he's going to bring the entire world under his rule, and we're going to be raptured into heaven. And so you always got to be ready. You got to always be ready. Isn't that powerful? So here they were. Here they were, a, a beautiful picture of, I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. I'm here, but it's not my home. I'm going to be delivered from this land of bondage, and I'm going to be taken to the promised land. And it's going to be by the blood, by nothing else but the blood. Oh, that's powerful. Along with the lamb, oh, I've already been there, all right. Then the ominous moment came. Although the family was inside the house and couldn't see the blood covering, they had faith that God would save them because of it. As they ate their meal, the death angel swept the land. And I want to promise you something, church. Let God be true and every man a liar. This is God. What did Paul tell us in Corinthians? He said, these things were written so that you could learn from them, so that you could understand what God had planned for the new covenant. These things were written for your edification and for your warning and for your instruction. What are we learning from this? God showed Abraham 
My reason for dealing with you is because I've cut a blood covenant. I'm teaching you to lean on the blood. He taught Adam and Eve to lean on the blood to be covered from sin. Now he's coming down to Abraham's descendants, the recipients of the promise. Now they are a great nation. What is God teaching them? Lean on the blood. But now here we have a beautiful picture of how we are to be in this world. They were leaning on that blood. My house is covered in the blood. My house is protected by the blood. My house, I have experienced forgiveness because of the blood. I'm in a covenant with my God because of the blood. So when judgment comes, and it will come as surely as the death angel came through Egypt because suddenly there was wailing and crying as they sat eating their meal. And the firstborn of the Egyptians, all the firstborn males, began to die. And God began to judge the gods of Egypt. He began to judge them because of the false gods they had turned to. And if you think that can't happen to America or the West or to this world, Let me tell you, in a moment, God can bring judgment. And we need to hear about this more. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. If a nation sins against God over and over again, the wheels of justice may move slowly, but they move nevertheless. And the day will come when God says, that's it. The last one has been saved. I've had it. I'm bringing judgment. And when that judgment comes and and we face God, we're going to have one thing going for us, and that's the blood. That's what he's teaching us all through the Bible. The blood is our safety. The blood is our protection. The blood is our salvation. The blood is our healing. The blood is our covenant. The blood is our deliverance. We are covenant children by blood. So when you go to God in prayer and you say, God, I need this, I need that, I'm asking you to do this or that, you've got to understand that it's not how good you can pray. It's not how perfectly you can enunciate your prayer. You need to know that when you go to God, he said in Hebrews, let us therefore come boldly. Well, why is the therefore there? Because he's been talking about the blood covenant. That's why we can go boldly, because we're in a blood covenant. Let us go boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find the help, uh, grace to help us in the hour of need. What do we stand on? The blood. We're standing on the blood. When God answers our prayers, it's because he's honoring the blood. I'm trying my best. I am. Now watch this, as he passed, the angel, the death angel, as he passed from door to door, he saw entry into every household. If the entrance was covered by blood, the angel of death could not get in, but had to pass over that house. The blood was a seal that protected the people inside. If the angel did not encounter the blood covering, the firstborn died. This was the Lord's Passover. He used the blood of the Lamb as the means of delivering His people from bondage, breaking the back of their enemy, and carrying them over into the promised land. Now the symbol of Egypt was a serpent. In the Bible, Satan is called, say it with me everybody, that old serpent. God was saying through this event, 
that in his appointed time he will use the blood of the Lamb to destroy Satan's power and set people free from bondage to him. That's what God was saying. All the way back to the ancient Garden of Eden, God declared, I will put enmity, that means war, between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Here's what's going to happen in that war. He shall bruise your head, and you're going to bru- you, Satan, are going to bruise his heel. God is saying that there are two spiritual seeds or families in the world. We know that, right? There's two spiritual seeds in this world right now. Well, who are they? One is the spiritual seed of Satan, who is the father of all who walk in evil. How do you know they're walking with the devil? They worship at the altar of intellect, materialism, pride, lust, and self-gratification. They reject Jesus Christ. They are the spiritual children of Satan. Even Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and his lusts you will do. Jesus wasn't out to win friends that day. But he was speaking, a, a, of course, a spiritual truth. They were not of God. They were of the seed of the devil that was resisting Messiah. Satan's family began with Cain the murderer and has continued throughout his descendants whom Satan used to establish his world system that we live in. When the Bible talks about the world, when John says all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the flesh and so on and so forth and the boastful pride of life, when he uses the word world, he's not talking about God's beautiful creation. I was walking with, here comes another dog story, but I was walking with my little dog today. And we were walking uh, past this creek, and right down in the creek were these gorgeous uh, mallards. And they looked like they couldn't even be real. They looked impossible to be real. They were so perfect. You know, the green, beautiful uh, heads and, and, the, and just these beautiful creatures. And I looked at them and I said, how could anybody say that this just evolved? Just look at a duck. You could just stop right there. How can anybody say that that just evolved? And I said, Lord, thank you. This is so beautiful. That's not the world John is talking about, the beautiful creation of God, the cosmos, the stars, the galaxies. That's an incredible. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the evil world system where Satan is the prince of the power of the air and and has influence over the inhabitants of the earth who are not submitted to Christ. And you're of one seed or the other. That's why Peter talked about being born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Because when you're born again, then you're no longer of the seed of Satan, but you're of the seed of God. You've got to be born twice, or you're of the seed of Satan. And his lust you will do. And we all did. But now look at this. God said there would be a seed of woman. 
And God said that the seed of a woman would be a he. This is curious because in the natural reproduction process, we're produced from the seed of man, not the seed of woman. So why would God knows that? So why would God call Christ the seed of woman? Because he didn't come by normal means. Sorry, James Cameron. You don't have the remains. Because God was Christ's Father. Get it? Boy, you know, if, if the people in, in this ministry, if I could just get this one thing in you where it is never removed, that you understand who He was, that He was the Son of God, a virgin conceived when the Holy Ghost moved across her. Now, then God predicted that there would be constant war between the seed of the serpent, who is Satan, and the seed of the woman. This war, God predicted, would eventually come down to a personal confrontation between the two. So you had two cosmic personalities meeting in the wilderness, the showdown in the desert. And this showdown had been in the making for centuries, for millennia. Satan, God said would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. This meant that he would strike him, wound him, bruise him, and afflict him. David the psalmist, moved by the spirit of prophecy, wrote that he would be brought like a lamb to the slaughter. He foresaw Jesus being mocked and sneered at. His strength, David wrote, would be poured out like water. His bones would be put out of joint. His heart would melt like wax, and his tongue would stick to his mouth. His bones would protrude out of his body, and his hands and feet would be pierced. He would be sheared like a lamb at the slaughterhouse. His heel would be bruised. Yet the seed of the woman, God said, would prevail. He would bruise the head of the serpent. A bruise to the heel is painful, and that happened on the cross. And before the cross, when he was beaten, mocked, and bruised, and afflicted. But his heel was bruised on the cross. A bruise to the heel is painful, but a bruise to the head is fatal. This bruise to the head would destroy the serpent, and the lamb will have defeated the serpent. And you know what? The lamb defeated the serpent. Amen. Don't miss next week. The king is coming. And I'm probably going to preach more than I teach, but don't miss next week. What are we saying here tonight? Let's stand together, can we? The Passover was a picture of what you and I live in. The Passover was a physical picture of a spiritual truth. It was God showing us that the day is going to come when you and I are passed over. And we're going to be safe, protected, and delivered only because of the blood. I want you to lean on the blood. Don't let the devil condemn you. If you make some mistake, don't let the devil beat your brains out for a week over it. Take it 
to the Lord and get it covered in the blood. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who have been born twice because the blood covers you. The blood covers you. Not teaching sloppy agape, and I'm not teaching greasy grace. I don't think you ought to go live any way you want to and then just uh, every Sunday come and repent. I think you ought to live for him all day long, all week long. But we ought to be living with a clear conscience, with joy in our heart. We ought to be thrilled. We ought to have that staff in our hand and the shoes on because one day we're going to depart. Amen? And so if you're excited, let's give the Lord a hand about that, can we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the blood covenant. We thank you, Lord, that you showed us in Adam and Eve and with Abraham and all the way down through Moses and the children of Israel, all the way up to the new covenant and the Lamb of God who has now died once for all and there needs be no more blood shed. Lord, we thank you for the deliverance of that blood and that blood has been placed over the door of every heart. And Lord, we receive your forgiveness right now. And we thank you for what the blood has done for us. Now, I want you to take a minute and just thank the Lord in your own heart. Say, Lord, I receive that blood covenant. I live by that blood covenant. I approach you covered in that blood covenant. My prayers are answered because of that blood covenant. And I'll be delivered because of that blood covenant. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.